Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Isn't it crazy how much time has changed over the years? I was once told when I was a kid that the older that you got, time moved faster. And I don't know about you, but time is moving fast for me. And when I think about the years, I, I remember growing up without social media. Does anyone remember growing up without social media? You got to run and play outside and didn't have to tell everyone about it. But it was amazing. I, I remember living my teenage years and even my early teenage years. But everything changed when MySpace came around. Any MySpace users out here? All right, we got a few. And you know, it was really important back then, back then, in the times of MySpace, it was all about getting the right background, the right font, and the right audio when someone landed on your page. A song that represented you. But oh, how much the times have changed. You see, we live in the days of, of Instagram. And when you think about Instagram, and there's others out there, and I'm not too cool for, I, well, I'm not cool enough for TikTok, I'm, I, I can tell you that. But when you think about Instagram, there's one key metric that's really important. Does anyone know what that key metric is? How many of these that you have? Followers. How many followers do you have? And we live in the world where there are people that make a living, and they're called influencers. In my day and age, if I told my dad that I was going to be an influencer, he would have told me, you better be an influencer for Jesus. That's all he would have told me. Making a job out of it? Are you kidding me? But businesses ask you, how many followers do you have? I'll pay you to promote the product. It's all about followers. In fact, I was looking the other day to see who had the most followers on Instagram. And that is Cristiano Ronaldo, the famous soccer player. Do you know how many followers this guy has? 258.7 million followers. Just to put that into context, do you know what country he's from? He's from Portugal. You know how many people live in Portugal? 10.3 million. He has 25 more, 25 times more followers than his own home country. But if you think about the followership that we've learned to grow and embrace in Instagram, it's extremely low commitment. It's just one click, one follow, and you're done. But this can be any more different than the followers that we're going to be talking about today. Because today, we're not talking about Instagram followers. We're talking about real followers. And those followers are the disciples of Jesus Christ. And the word disciple means a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. When you see that word disciple, you can't help but to think of where that word came from. It, has, it almost writes the word Discipline. 
So I want you to put those two things together. You saw the definition, and then you see people that were willing to be disciplined, leave everything behind to follow Jesus. But before we dive into that followership lesson, I want to set the stage and bring you up to speed to where we're at today. So Jesus has spent 30 years of his life, and he's wandering around, and he's living a great life, doing his thing, and he's gone pretty much unseen. But now he's popular. Because John the Baptist has now paved the way and said, there's the Messiah. That's the one we've been hoping for. That's the one that the prophets have been talking about. So now he's here. And he has the huge decision to start selecting who will go along with him. Who will be his disciples. You know, outside of church, I get the opportunity to lead a very high-performing technical sales team. And one of my primary jobs managing that region is hiring in that, in that area. So much of what the leaders are entrusting into me is that I will select the right leaders and the right account executives to support our region and our customers. In fact, making a bad decision can mean that we can lose market share. Making a great decision means that we can outsmart the competition, that we can do better than the rest. So there's a lot of pressure on me, and guess what? There's a whole HR department that's looking over me, making sure that I'm following all the processes, that the people that I'm hiring have all the right qualifications. It's not as easy as it seems, and it's a really critical part of my job. But you could also imagine that big interview that you had to prepare for. Man, you dressed to impress. You busted out that suit you haven't worn in a while. You made sure it still fit. If it didn't, you were running to a place to go get a better suit. You were busting out that tie for the first time. And you were using eloquent language that you're not even used to using in normal life. Because you are selling yourself. You're trying to land a job. You're trying to make way for, get all these other people away from you. Some jobs these days, especially in Austin, and you know it, there's hundreds if not thousands of people that are fighting for those same jobs. So all of this pressure for the interviewer and the interviewee for a job. For a job. How much more different would it be for Jesus selecting leaders that would change the world? This isn't a job. This is life and death we're talking about here. So I wonder if Jesus used some of our modern day hiring strategies. What might that look like? All right, let's see the report that the consultant firm developed. All right, you with me? You guys with me? All right, all right, just making sure we're alive. All right, dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of 12 men that you've picked for the management positions for your new organization. We recommend that you continue your search for persons of better experience better managerial ability, and more proven capability. Let me tell you more about them. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and is given into the fits of temper. Two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas, oh Thomas, he demonstrated a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. 
we feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of many abilities. He's resourceful. He meets people well, has a keen business mind, and contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles, self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely yours, Jordan Management Consultant. How many of you guys are so glad that Jesus did not need any help? He did not need any help because the way that he selected his disciples couldn't be more different than how we interview for people and leaders in today's day and age. Let's see how Jesus started in verse thir- uh, chapter 1, verse 35 to 39. The next day, John was there again to, with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Well, there you have it. That's Jesus' selection process. If only I could walk through a park, walk to a mall, and two people say, Joel, is it you, the manager, that can hire me? I'd be glad to work. Come. You're hired. I mean, think about that. It is so radically different than what we're used to. But certainly, I am not Jesus. Right? And I know that he, is, he sees things in a lens that you and I will never understand. But one of the things we do learn about Jesus is that Jesus calls the ordinary to do the extraordinary. We don't see a, a huge list of accomplishments. We don't see their pedigree. We don't see their degrees and the letters all before their names. We just hear about a couple things. All that we know about these two at this time is that they were already faithfully serving. They were serving under John the Baptist. And so that does give us an indication that they had a level of discipline already. But beyond that, we don't know much more about these. And, 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 and the rest of the disciples, as we look into them, they were ordinary men, fishermen, uh, businessmen, uh, tax collectors, you, normal men that had already moved on in their lives. But we also see the disciples that they weren't moving on the hype. The hype was already there. But everything changed when they heard the words come out of John the Baptist. When they said, look, it's the Lamb of God. So we must take action based on what is true. And John the Baptist declared it very clearly. He said, that is, he's the Lamb. He is the one. He's the truth. He's the life. He's God. That's the man we've been waiting for. And as soon as they heard that, 
they did not hesitate. Let's, let's jump over to Matthew chapter 4, where Matthew uses different verbiage, but it'll explain some of the points we're talking about today. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 18, it says, As Jesus was walking besides the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen, ordinary men, right? Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw the two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in the boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing the nets, also fishermen. Jesus called them, and immediately, immediately, they left the boat and their father, and everything for that matter, and followed him. So if we're going to be real Christ followers we need to act fast. We can't act fast enough. I could, I could only imagine if those disciples would have looked at Jesus and said, wait a minute, who, who are you? Can, wait a minute, can, can you just prove to me, right? Like, uh, are, are you really the son of God? Why don't you show me a little something, something, right? Like, you know, I got a cup of water. You want to change it into wine or something? Like, dude, just do something. I want to just prove to me that you're, that you are Jesus. No, they didn't do that. They acted fast. They didn't go and say, let me confirm with my family. Let me confirm with my wife. That's a, that's a great cop-out answer for all men. We overuse that one. Okay? Let me confirm with my wife. But in the church, there's one that we hear a lot. And I know you guys have all heard it. Brother let me pray about it. I just need to pray. I need to pray it over. It might be a couple months I'll be praying. And maybe God will give me an audible voice to be a greeter and support the mission of this church. Eh, I don't know. But I'll tell you that I can suffer from questioning and not moving as quickly as I need to. But there's been times when I have absolutely Heard, the God, heard God's word, and I've just, boom, followed. And I remember, it's been almost 15 years ago now. I was living in Florida. I was a freshman in college. I was living my dream of, I was at a school of music. I was, I was a jazz saxophone player. Loved life. Loved playing music. That's all I ever wanted to do, was just be a professional musician and, and, and be a music teacher. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I get this call from my dad. The strangest call. We, I was born in Florida. I was raised in Florida. And I planned on dying in Florida. But my dad tells me, Joel, God put on my heart to start a church in Texas. A Spanish church that would serve the Spanish people in, or the Spanish-speaking people in Texas. Immediately I said, Dad, I'm going with you. I'm going with you and I want to check it out, and I'm ready to go, when do we go? And I made a decision in that moment. I knew it was God. And let me tell you, all I could think about is what would my life have been if I would have declined the call of God that moment? Because God has been so good, He's been so faithful, 
and I'm proud to call Texas my home. I'm almost to the point where I've lived in Texas longer than I've lived in Florida. Not quite. All right, so, so the math people are, are confirming my age. And you can just ask me and I'll tell you. But you must move on God's calling. And I love here, we're going to jump back to John and we'll see what a true follower looks like. Andrew, this is verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother. Again, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said this, you are Simon, son of John. You will now be called Cephas, which, was, which when translated is Peter. This was so good. You know, Andrew was just impacted and he could have said, I want it all for me. I just want to, I, I get to be with Jesus. I get to be with the creator of the world. But instead, the first thing he does is he tells someone else about it. And not only anyone else, he tells his brother. I don't know about you, but sometimes brothers can have a little bit of brotherly rivalry. And, and being able to say like, oh, I, I was the one that was called by Jesus, right? But instead, he, he immediately says, hey, I need to tell someone else about this the change in what God is doing in my life and the chance that we have here. So real followers, again, not the Instagram followers we talked about earlier, but real followers are quick to tell others about the good news. They're quick to tell others about the gospel. They're quick to tell others about Jesus because they care more about the mission than themselves. They care more about what Jesus will do for others than what Jesus will do for them. And Freedom Church, this one's going to sting a little bit. But I want you to get ready. Your followership gauge is largely based on how willing you are to share the gospel and the message of Jesus with others. I'm going to say that one more time. Your followership gauge is largely based on how willing you are to share the gospel and the message of Jesus with others. So Jesus continues to arm up the dream team, and we're now in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathan and told him, We have found the one Moses, the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, uh, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, did anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. So we've progressed now, and it's other disciples we're talking about. But can you see that the truths that we already described in Andrew also already exist in Philip? Because he also moved on, on, on what the truth of the gospel and what Jesus and John had said about Jesus, right? They also, he also acted fast and he also told the message to someone else. Can you see that 
the Bible is teaching us that these are critical things that we as Christ followers must follow. But let's look at how Nathan responds. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And let's, let's pause on that one. Because Jesus, as we described at the beginning, with how Jesus selected his disciples versus how I hire for my department, is so different than what we're used to on earth. Because Jesus didn't come to the earth to be like the earth. He came to earth from heaven and he brought it down to earth, right? And so the Jews wanted a king to reign over all. The Jews wanted a political Messiah, a Messiah that would just come down and just boom from the, from the, uh, from, from the heights of the mountain, just declare he is the king. That's what they wanted. So when you hear Nazareth, Nazareth was a little podunk town that no one knew about. In fact, some of the Bible scholars don't see much about it other than here. Nazareth was, at the time, was very small. And so we see that, you know, Jesus is so backwards than what we're used to. And so Nathan's response wasn't that far off, especially for a Jew that had hopes like most of the Jews in that time. But let's look at how Jesus, oh, Jesus responds. In verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And I almost start to wonder, what, what, was, what was Nathanael doing under that tree? Why, why did just explaining that one truth, why did that wake him up so quickly? I could almost imagine you know, Nathan under that tree. Maybe he was having a, 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 an awkward thought. You know, may, maybe he was wrestling with, with something that he may have been thinking about. Maybe he, was, maybe he was saying, maybe he was hiding something, right? Maybe he was up, up to something, you know, planning something that he shouldn't be doing. Or maybe he was just saying, why me? I'm just an ordinary Israelite. And I don't know about you guys, but in those days... For you to, for an Israelite to study under a rabbi would have been one of the highest regarded things of that time. And so, so a lot of these disciples were already doing work in other places and doing other things. And so many of them may have thought, I'm expired. My, my destiny is already, I'm with my dad, I'm fishing. I'm, I'm supposed to do this for the rest of my life and this is what's going to happen and my life's predictable and then we're done. But in that moment, there was an encounter when Jesus knew that that's what he needed to hear. Because when he said that, Nathan woke up and said, wait a minute. This is the Jesus. This is the God. And I just love it that Jesus, he knows our mess. And he still calls us to follow. He knows what you're doing under the fig tree. He knows what you're up to. He knows the thoughts that you have that aren't godly. He knows every bit of you. And the enemy's trying to shame you. And the enemy's trying to stop you. But Jesus knows, I see you. 
I see you under that fig tree. And I'm still calling you to be one of my followers. I love that. But then Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? No, because Jesus does need to at least do a mic drop. If not, it wouldn't be, you know, we, we got to let him do his thing, right? So in verse 50, Jesus says, you believed because I saw you under the fig tree? Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that, he added. Very truly, I tell you, which means listen up, Freedom Church. You will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Wow. Jesus says, we're just getting started and get ready. Because the, the response that he, that he was pointing to was actually a response in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 8, referring to Jacob's ladder. And so when you hear this, this, he's kind of bringing the, the whole Bible together and he's saying, hey, from the beginning of time when I was with God, and we talked already in John chapter 1 where he declared that Jesus is God, even then, even then, he, had, he was there and he was doing all those things. But guess what? All of that was pointing to me, Jesus, right? From Genesis chapter 1, all the way till now, it has been all about me. Because I came from heaven to earth to bring salvation from sin and death. And it is me that we're talking about. I love that. And, and now, now we got to think about this. Now what? Because the Jews had a very different plan for Jesus, didn't they? And while we might think here on earth, it's easy for us to think here on earth, that we need great leaders, that God needs great leaders to do humanitarian things, to do political things, to do spiritual things, Jesus says something different. And I love what Jesus tells us. Through this, he teaches us that he will change the world not by creating earthly leaders, but instead by developing godly followers. Again, he's not trying to go out there and make leaders. He's telling you, stop everything and follow me. Those are the people that I need to change the world. If you Google leadership, our world is obsessed with leadership. There are leadership books, there's leadership podcasts, there's everything that you, if you want to learn about leadership, there is so much that you can go after right now. If you Google leadership right now, you know how many hits you're going to get? You're going to get 2.2 billion hits. 2.2 billion hits on, on, on Google. If you Google followership, you know, you know how many hits you're going to find? One million. That is half of a percentage point of what you're going to see on the leadership scope. And Paul was one of the best imitators. In, 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 in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he was bold in saying, be followers of me as I am of Christ. And so we learned today that my followership determines my leadership. Your ability to follow determines how good of a leader you will be. If I want to ask you how good of a leader are you, 
I would rather ask your leader, how pleasant is this person to lead? How good are they? Is it a breath? Every time that I talk to that leader, is it a breath? When you talk about that follower, that person that is under you, do you, is it a breath of fresh air to be their leader? That's what Jesus is calling for. He's telling us to surrender it all and be great followers. He will then make you a great leader after that. Freedom Church, I'm going to tell you a story about two leaders. And I want you to consider these two leaders and ask yourself if these leaders are worth following. The first leader had a very large congregation that was doing really well. One day, his right-hand man thought he could lead better and took 30% of his congregation. Thankfully, he was able to rebuild the 70% of the church that he had, but it didn't come without its challenges. He then embarked on a new venture with other people. It was a very small church this time and ended up losing most of his followers. With a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, he was able to rebuild the church with one of his close relatives. The second leader was that close relative. This leader had a true gift of teaching and could captivate large crowds. He operated with many signs and wonders. However, he struggled with retaining those crowds. He did have some struggles with some of his staff members. Some didn't get along. Some of them were embezzling ministry funds. And on occasion, there was ones that were fighting and one even assaulted another person. Would you want to follow these two leaders? Well, if you were in the In Search of Timothy class, not too long ago here at Freedom Church, you would recall that this is really an excerpt out of the first passage uh, in the first chapter of In Search of Timothy. And I was awakened when I was reading this because I said, there's no way I'd want to be, be at that guy's church or, this, or the relative. And I was confronted very quickly because the first person I described was God himself. Because the person that took the 30% was Lucifer. And as he built the Israelites, there was a lot of disappointment, wasn't there? But then, with a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, Jesus comes on the scene. And guess what? He had followers. And he had some issues, right? But the question we must ask ourselves is, are those leaders worth following? And the answer is, a duh. Absolutely. They're perfect. But it points to the greater problem that we have to confront. See, we as a church can be quick to point at the leaders as the reason for all problems. But we must examine ourselves because all of us in here, all of us in here, no matter what we do at this church, no matter what we do in our community, we are first and foremost Christ followers. And so when you are parenting that child, and you start saying, what is wrong with me? What is going on with him? Ask yourself, am I being a follower worth following? And understand and give a little bit of grace. Even the disciples that were with Jesus, they struggled. And so rather than saying, Jesus, you're the one with all the problems, point at yourself and say, Jesus, I'm not following you with full surrender. My discipline has been a little bit shaky. But I want to now follow you. So today, 
I want to pray for two things. And I want everyone to bow their heads, close their eyes if you want. And the first thing I want to pray for is, is if you maybe are an Instagram follower of Jesus, and maybe you've been to Jesus's page, and you've clicked follow, and you see all of his updates, you even click like on all of his pages, on all of his posts, but you don't know him. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so we can pray for you to know the Christ, the God of this universe, this universe, the one who created you. And online, if you're out there and, and you want to be a better follower, this is for you too. Let's pray. God, you know every person that's out there that, that hasn't made the conscious decision of following you, of, of leaving everything behind and following everything that you tell them and having a level of discipline around that. God, if, if, if anyone is out there, I pray right now that they have a supernatural encounter with you. And we declare right now that they can turn their lives away from sin and follow you wholeheartedly. Now I want to do one more prayer request. And that's, that's for those of you who have already committed to following Jesus. But maybe you've over-indexed on leadership. Or maybe you've become a, a follower that's not pleasant to lead. If that's you and you just want God to do a work in you like he's done with the disciples so that you too can change the world, raise your hand right where you're at. And let's, let's pray. God, you're seeing every hand that's being raised. God, and we, we just want to be followers worth following, God. We want to be followers that will change the world. God, right now I pray for every hand that's raised, for every person that's in here that's been challenged by this word, that maybe his has been all about you, Jesus, but maybe has taken a leadership approach to try to lead through everything and has forgotten the importance of following you, your teachings, your word, everything you've committed us to doing. God, I thank you for challenging us this morning through your disciples and that we might be disciples that can change the world, that can tell others about you, that can follow you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Freedom Church. We're going to continue in this series of John. Hasn't the series been awesome? I've, I've loved this. Benito will be back next week, and he'll be guiding us through the rest of the book. Thank you, guys, and enjoy the rest of the week. God bless. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.